Book One, Chapter One of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nikki Sullivan. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney, Book One, Chapter One. Peace to the spirits of my honored parents, respected be their remains, and immortalized their virtues. May time, while it mortars their frail relics to dust, commit to tradition the record of their goodness, and, oh, may their orphan descendant be influenced through life by the remembrance of their purity, and be solaced in death, that by her it was unsullied. Such was the secret prayer with which the only survivor of the Beverly family quitted the abode of her youth and residence of her forefathers, while tears of recollecting sorrow filled her eyes and obstructed the last view of her native town which had excited them. Cecilia, this fair traveller, had lately entered into the one-and-twentieth year of her age. Her ancestors had been rich farmers in the country of Suffolk, though her father, in whom a spirit of elegance had supplanted the rapacity of wealth, had spent his time as a private country gentleman, satisfied, without increasing his store, to live upon what he inherited from the labors of his predecessors. She had lost him in her early youth, and her mother had not long survived him. They had bequeathed to her ten thousand pounds, and consigned her to the care of the dean of her uncle with this gentleman in whom by various contingencies the accumulated possessions of a rising and prosperous family were centred she had passed the last four years of her life and a few weeks only had yet elapsed since his death which by depriving her of her last relation made her the heiress to an estate of three thousand pounds per annum with no other restriction than that of annexing her name if she married to the disposal of her hand and her riches. But though thus largely indebted to fortune, to nature she had yet greater obligations. Her form was elegant, her heart was liberal, her countenance announced the intelligence of her mind, her complexion varied with every emotion of her soul, and her eyes, the heralds of her speech, now beamed with understanding and now glistened with sensibility. For the short period of her minority, the management of her fortune and the care of her person had by the dean been entrusted to three guardians, among whom her own choice was to settle her residence. But her mind, saddened by the loss of all her natural friends, coveted to regain its serenity in the quietness of the country, and in the bosom of an aged and maternal counsellor, whom she loved as her mother, and to whom she had been known from her childhood. The deanery, indeed, she was obliged to relinquish, a long repining expectant being eager, by entering it, to bequeath to another the anxiety and suspense he had suffered himself, though probably without much impatience to shorten their duration in favor of the next successor. But the house of Mrs. Charlton, her benevolent friend, was open for her reception, and the alleviating tenderness of her conversation took from her all wish of changing it. Here she had dwelt since the internment of her uncle, and here, from the affectionate gratitude of her disposition, she had perhaps been content to dwell 
till her own, had not her guardians interfered to remove her. Reluctantly she complied. She quitted her early companions, the friends she most revered, and the spot which contained the relics of all she had lived to lament, and accompanied by one of her guardians, and attended by two servants, she began her journey from Bury to London. Mr. Harrell, this gentleman, though in the prime of his life, though gay, fashionable, and splendid, had been appointed by her uncle to be one of her trustees, a choice which had for object the peculiar gratification of his niece, whose most favorite young friend Mr. Harrell had married, and in whose house he therefore knew she would most wish to live. Whatever good nature could dictate or politeness suggest to dispel her melancholy, Mr. Harrell failed not to urge, and Cecilia, in whose disposition sweetness was tempered with dignity, and gentleness with fortitude, suffered not his kind offices to seem ineffectual. She kissed her hand at the last glimpse of a friendly hill afforded of her native town, and made an effort to forget the regret with which she lost sight of it. She revived her spirits by plans of future happiness, dwelt upon the delight with which she should meet her young friend, and, by accepting his consolation, amply rewarded his trouble. Her serenity, however, had yet another, though milder, trial to undergo, since another friend was yet to be met, and another farewell was yet to be taken. At the distance of seven miles from Bury resided Mr. Monckton, the richest and most powerful man in the neighborhood, at whose house Cecilia and her guardian were invited to breakfast in their journey. Mr. Monckton, who was the younger son of a noble family, was a man of parts, information, and sagacity. To great native strength of mind he added a penetrating knowledge of the world, and to faculties the most skilful of investigating the character of every other, a dissimulation the most profound in concealing his own. In the bloom of his youth, impatient for wealth and ambitious of power, he had tied himself to a rich dowager of quality, whose age, though sixty-seven, was but among the smaller species of her evil properties, her disposition being far more repulsive than her wrinkles. An inequality of years so considerable had led him to expect that the fortune he had thus acquired would speedily be released from the burthen with which it was at present encumbered. But his expectations proved as vain as they were mercenary, and his lady was not more the dupe of his protestations than he was himself of his own purposes. Ten years he had been married to her, yet her health was good, and her faculties were unimpaired. Eagerly he had watched for her dissolution, yet his eagerness had injured no health but his own. So short-sighted is selfish cunning, that in aiming no further than at the gratification of the present moment, it obscures the evils of the future, while it impedes the perception of integrity and honor. His ardor, however, to attain the blessed period of returning liberty, deprived him neither of spirit nor inclination for immediate enjoyment. He knew the world too well to incur its censure by ill-treating the woman to whom he was indebted for the rank he held in it. He saw her, indeed, but seldom, yet he had the decency, alike in avoiding as in meeting her, to show no abatement of civility and good breeding. 
but having thus sacrificed to ambition all possibility of happiness in domestic life he turned his thoughts to those other methods of procuring it which he had so dearly purchased the power of essaying the resources of pleasure to the possessors of wealth are only to be cut off by the satiety of which they are productive a satiety which the vigorous mind of mr monckton had not yet suffered him to experience his time therefore was either devoted to the expensive amusements of the metropolis or spent in the country among the gayest of its diversions the little knowledge of fashionable manners and of the characters of the times of which cecilia was yet mistress she had gathered at the house of this gentleman with whom the dean her uncle had been intimately connected for as he preserved to the world the same appearance of decency he supported to his wife he was everywhere well received and being but partially known was extremely respected the world with its wonted facility repaying his circumspect attention to its laws by silencing the voice of censure guarding his character from impeachment and his name from reproach cecilia had been known to him half her life she had been caressed in his house as a beautiful child and her presence was now solicited there as an amiable acquaintance her visits indeed had by no means been frequent as the ill-humour of lady margaret monckton had rendered them painful to her yet the opportunities they had afforded her of mixing with people of fashion had served to prepare her for the new scenes in which she was soon to be a performer mr monckton in return had always been a welcome guest at the deanery his conversation was to celia a never-failing source of information as his knowledge of life and manners enabled him to start those subjects of which she was most ignorant and her mind copious for the admission and intelligent for the arrangement of knowledge received all new ideas with avidity pleasure given in society like money lent in usury returns with interest to those who dispense it and the discourse of mr monckton conferred not a greater favor upon cecilia than her attention to it repaid and thus the speaker and the hearer being mutually gratified they had always met with complacency and commonly parted with regret this reciprocation of pleasure had however produced different effects upon their minds the ideas of cecilia were enlarged while the reflections of mr monckton were embittered he saw her an object to all the advantages of that wealth he had so highly prized added youth beauty and intelligence though much her senior he was by no means of an age to render his addressing her an impropriety and the entertainment she received from his conversation persuaded him that her good opinion might with ease be improved into a regard the most partial he regretted the venal rapacity with which he had sacrificed himself to a woman he abhorred and his wishes for her final decay became daily more fervent he knew that the acquaintance of cecilia was confined to a circle of which he was himself the principal ornament that she had rejected all of the proposals of marriage which had hitherto been made to her and as he had sedulously watched her from her earliest years he had reason to believe that her heart had escaped any dangerous impression this being her situation he had looked upon her as his future property 
As such, he had indulged his admiration, and as such, he had already appropriated her estate, though he had not more vigilantly inspected into her sentiments than he had guarded his own from a similar scrutiny. The death of the dean, her uncle, had indeed much alarmed him. He grieved at her leaving Suffolk, where he considered himself the first man, alike in parts and in consequence, and he dreaded her residing in London, where he foresaw that numerous rivals, equal to himself in talents and in riches, would speedily surround her. Rivals, too, youthful and sanguine, not shackled by present ties, but at liberty to solicit her immediate acceptance. Beauty and independence, rarely found together, would attract a crowd of suitors at once brilliant and assiduous. And the house of Mr. Harrell was eminent for its elegance and gaiety. But yet, undaunted by danger, and confiding in his own powers, he determined to pursue the project he had formed, not fearing by address and perseverance to ensure its success. End of Book One, Chapter One Recording by Nikki Sullivan Chicago.